0: Welcome to sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Good morning, Uh, I invite you to get a Bible out as we get into the Word today. Uh, Today on this first Sunday of Advent, we are beginning a sermon series entitled The God Who Is. Christmas is a time where uh, there's a bit of enchantment in the air, as it were, where, where people who were maybe close to God are maybe open to God or word of a personal creator who loves them for the first time. And um, today we're gonna be considering the God who is light. The God who is light. So uh, would you open your Bible to John chapter one, verses one to 14, and we're gonna read that text together. John chapter one, verses one to 14. And if you're new to church and you're not sure how to use one of these in the Pew Bible, you can find it on page 860. So John chapter one, verses one to 14. It says this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth this is god's word will you pray with me living god we ask that you would send your holy spirit upon us as we dig into your word today would this not just be information but would your spirit come on us and bring about transformation? Would your spirit come upon us and bring about illumination to understand the words you are saying to us through the scriptures this morning? We pray this, Jesus, in your mighty name, amen. I want you to ask yourself this question. What are some of the things you cannot live without? What are your essentials? I mean, there are all kinds of things as humans we cannot live without. Air, water, food, shelter, companionship, and then we all have those particular things about us that we say, oh, I can't live without this. What can't you live without? A lot of the messages that we get during the Christmas season, and let's face it, even as Black Friday hijacks the beginning of Advent season, The entire economy is focused on convincing you there's more stuff that you need to live right Um, and uh, what gets started in black friday only intensifies over the christmas season right Um, and and you start to get the messages playing in your head whether it's from the radio or or the ads on your feed Um, you can't live without the latest iphone you can't live without that peloton tread you can't live without that Sonos soundbar, like whatever it is they're trying to sell you, like what can't you really live without? And today, as we consider the God who is light, I want you to consider, is light something you can live without? Is light something you can, is that one of the essential things or is that like an optional nice add-on? Is light essential? Or is it optional? I mean, let's think about it. It surrounds us all the time. It's kind of like gravity, right? It's easy to take it uh, it for granted. Um, But do you remember in 2013, the ice storm that hit Toronto? And what happened? The lights went out, right? There was so much ice on the trees, it just brought trees down all over the city. And if you were uh, in your house at night without the sun shining and all of a sudden your lights went out, like everything stopped. Right? You 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 can't do anything, and and the first thing you do is you need to fix that. Right? You need to get light. So you go rummaging for your flashlight. Maybe you stub your toe as you're like navigating your way through your house. You find the flashlight. It doesn't have batteries, so then you have to rummage for batteries and you get the batteries and you get that in your flashlight and you're good to go. And all the young people here are like, "Hello, it's a cell phone. Just like pull it out of your pocket and use it." Listen, it was 2013. It's a little bit different back in that day, but the point is, when the lights go out you realize just how much you need it, right? In the pitch black, you're like, I cannot do anything. Everything stops. And in our text today, John says that Jesus brings light into the world. Jesus brings light into the world. And he's not talking about physical light. He's not talking about the sun and moon. He's using a metaphor that Jesus is doing for us spiritually and at the level of the soul, what light does for us in the physical realm. And we're gonna consider what the light of Jesus does today. First, it brings illumination over ignorance. It brings life over existence and purpose over meaninglessness. That's where we're gonna go. So first, light brings illumination over ignorance. This is the most obvious thing about light. I was waiting for one of the kids to say, light helps us see, right? It's really that simple. What does light do? It helps us see. It helps us see things as they really are. And we have our modern expression, right? Where we say, hey, so-and-so is in the dark, right? This person's in the dark. And we don't mean they're in a dark room. We mean they don't see something that everybody else sees. They don't know something that everybody else knows. They're in the dark. Light brings illumination. And doesn't humanity need illumination? In our reading today from Isaiah 9, the, the picture was painted of humanity walking in darkness, that we are people walking in darkness. Uh, It said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And he's talking about that spiritual darkness that covers humanity, kind of like a blanket. And as you look in the world today, right, there are all kinds of ways where we live as humans and we suppress The truth of who God is, we live in ways that go against his loving purpose for our lives. There's darkness out there, but let's be honest, there's also darkness in our hearts. Think of all the darkness at play in the world today. All the anger, all the conflict, all the disinformation, all the contestation of truth. So darkness hangs over the world and over our hearts. But the prophet saw a day And this is what we're leading up to in the Advent season. The prophets saw a day when the earth would be filled with light. When the earth would be filled with what Habakkuk calls the knowledge of the glory of the Lord and that light would break through. This is what Christmas is all about. This is why so many of the Christmas stories start in darkness and there's a star guiding them or it starts in darkness and then there's this burst of light and an announcement of good news. This is intentional. At Christmas, we are wait, or Advent we are waiting for the coming of the light. In verse five in our text, John says that the light shines in the darkness and then this is such good news and the darkness has not overcome it. I love that statement. See, darkness seems so powerful when you're stuck in it, right? It can feel so strong, it can feel inescapable, you can feel bound by it, but guess what? This is the nature of light. It is always stronger than the dark, always. I mean, think about it, when you were a kid, or or kids, imagine when, when you're in your room and it's dark and you're afraid, right? You're afraid of some kind of boogeyman. I was afraid of a snake underneath my bed because I had watched Indiana Jones at too young of an age. Um, In the darkness, all your fears, right? They they seem real. What happens as soon as the light goes on? It's like, oh, there's no darkness. Reality floods in, truth fills your mind, you bring peace, and you even start to wonder, what was I so afraid of? That's the kind of confidence that light gives us in the dark, light is always stronger than the dark. And so as we get into this text, I want us to consider what is it that the light illumines? What is the light that lifts the blanket of darkness? In his first letter, John says, God is light. You can see that verse on your screen. God is light. This is a statement of God's essence, of God's being. In him is no darkness at all. It's saying he is pure, he is holy, he is gloriant, he's radiant. There's no hidden agenda in God to like oppress us. There's no darkness in him. He wills our good. And so when the Bible speaks of the light coming into the world, what we actually need to think about is God's presence coming into the world that the light and God's presence in essence are, as it were, the same. This is why for those of you who know the Old Testament and the story of the Old Testament, God's presence is always signified with fire, light. Whether it's Moses in the burning bush or whether it's the pillar that led Israel in the wilderness or whether it's the fire in the tabernacle and in the temple, that could never go out. That was the fire of God's presence. God's presence is light. As the psalmist says in Psalm 36, for with you, Lord, is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. Do you see the association of light with the presence of God? And the light that comes into the world at Christmas is God himself. God himself bringing us into knowledge of him. It's the God who was hidden and has now revealed himself and is present to us in Jesus Christ. And the reason Jesus brings illumination to us, right? That we would say light brings illumination over ignorance is because he shows us what God is like. We're no longer in the dark as to who God is, as to how God views us, as to what his plan is for our life. We can find out what God is like in Jesus. In his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, Philip Yancey, shares uh, a memory from his youth when the concept of incarnation, that word we talk about at Christmas that talks about God taking on flesh, that this became uh, really drilled into his heart. This is what he says. He says, I learned about incarnation when I kept a salt water aquarium. Management of a marine aquarium I discovered is no easy task. I had to run a portable chemical laboratory to monitor the nitrate levels and the ammonia content. I pumped vitamins and antibiotics and drugs and enough enzymes to make a rock grow. I'm not a fish tank aquarium owner, but if you are, you know what he's talking about. Apparently there's a lot of science and care that goes into it. And then he says, I filtered water through glass fibers and charcoal and exposed it to ultraviolet light. And then he says, you would think in view of all the energy expended on their behalf, that my fish would at least be grateful. Not so. Every time my shadow loomed over the tank, they dove for cover into the nearest shell. They showed me one emotion only, fear. Although I opened the lid and dropped in food on a regular schedule three times a day, they responded to each visit as a sure sign of my designs to torture them. I could not convince them of my true concern. To my fish, I was deity. I was too large for them. My actions were incomprehensible. My acts of mercy is that they they saw as cruelty. My attempts as at healing they viewed as destruction. And then he says, I began to see that to the change their perceptions would require incarnation. I would have to become a fish and speak to them in a language they could understand. And just like the fish in the tank, we need the incarnation of the Son of God. We need the incarnation of the Word in order to know God as He truly is, in order to know His heart, in order to know His mind, in order to know His will, in order to know His goodness. Because once we were ignorant of God but now Jesus brings us that illumination. He's God coming into our fishbowl and showing us what he's like. So light brings illumination over ignorance. Second of all, light brings life over existence. Look at verse four with me in your Bible. It says, in him, he's talking about the word, in him was life and that life was the light of all humankind. Now the word life there isn't the word for like biological existence. It's actually the word Zoe. Uh, We actually named her daughter Zoe because of this. That's kind of cool. And it, it means abundant life. It means more than just, is there a pulse? It means vital, alive life infused with the life of God. The light brings life over mere existence and and it just seems so often today, people are just existing. I have days when it feels like, God, am I just existing? I need an infusion of your life. And notice what we learn about life in verse four, um, that the life is not located in us. It says in him, in the word was life. This is an easy thing to miss, but it's foundational. That life has a source and the source is not in us. It's actually in Jesus. And this is so contrary to our culture where we live and breathe in an atmosphere that is telling us, just go deep into yourself. Find the life you always wanted. Build the life you always wanted. You be you. Let your light shine. But our light can't shine if we're actually disconnected from the true source of light. And that's Jesus and when we turn to him in faith, when we see him for who he is as this pre-existing word, as God's own son taking on our flesh, and we put our faith in him, we get in connection with the source of life, right? If life has a source and it's not in us, one of the things we really need to think about is how do I get connected? How do I get connected to the source of life, right? Think about electricity. Some of the kids were talking about electricity and wires. Think about the microwave sitting in your kitchen. When that microwave is not plugged in, it exists. It's there, right? It has matter and material, but it's not gonna come to life. You need to plug it into the wall. You need to plug it into the electrical current and then all of a sudden, you can make popcorn, you can make hot chocolate, whatever you want. It's the same here. We get life when we're connected to Jesus. And we get connected to him through faith in him by his holy spirit that's the key here our connection to jesus our union with jesus happens by the work of the holy spirit because let's face it right we know the bible tells us that jesus is now at the right hand of the father so how am i supposed to live with jesus right how is jesus supposed to be in relationship with me it's by his spirit which is his own presence in our lives Friends, we're not truly alive until we're joined to the source of life. As Frederick Dale Bruner says, come into union with the word who made you, and you will come to life. That's the invitation. Light brings life over existence. And lastly, light brings purpose over meaninglessness. Light illumines and gives life. And this is all because sheds light on our purpose. I want us to focus on a word that comes up in the beginning of our text. It's the word word. And you might have read that and you might have been puzzling and go, what does that mean? What is is the big deal about this word? Um, So in verse one it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. What is happening here? What's this saying? Word here is, is the Greek word logos. And this was a philosophical term used in John's day, and philosophers used it to speak about that which was behind what we can see. The reason behind everything, the reason behind life, sort of the animating principle. And and philosophers, right, in Greek philosophy, if you went to university and studied them, they were all about trying to figure out what was behind the darkness of our existence, right? What's the first cause? Who, who is prior to the world that we can see and touch and feel? And they talked about the logos. It means really the logic of the universe or the reason for life. But John does a couple things with the logos that we need to take note of. He, he changes, he uses that word, but then he adds meaning to it. First of all, logos uh, from the Old Testament word for when God would speak, logos is powerful. God spoke and the world came into being. God spoke and it happened. The word is powerful. Second of all, notice how in our text, John claims that the logos, the word, is not an idea or a force, it's a person. He says he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. I mean, thinkers, both ancient and modern, have a way of depersonalizing God into some kind of force or inner spark, but the scriptures never allow us to do that. The word is a divine person who is holy and separate from us and infinitely greater than we are. But here's the last thing about the word that we need to know. And this is the most surprising thing John says. Um, Yes, the word is a person. Yes, the word is powerful. Yes, the word existed from all eternity. But this is the one that takes the cake. In verse 14, it says, the word became flesh. The word became flesh. Right, Most religions or or philosophies have no problem saying yes, uh, God is divine, God is a person, but God taking on flesh, not just seemingly, but actually doing it, separates Christianity and the Christmas story from all the rest. I mean, this is the central mystery of Christmas, that the screaming baby, and trust me, I've had four babies, they're not clean, they're, they're kinda cute when they come out, but not really. Uh, this screaming baby born in the stable is the eternal, powerful, revelatory word of God. Oh my goodness. That is astounding. What does this have to do with our purpose? Think back to the fish tank, right? Philip Yancey thinking that in order for his fish to really know him and his intention, he'd have to become a fish. That's what God did. He came into the fish tank of our world to show us God. But get this, not only show us God, he also came to show us ourselves. Jesus also came to show us what it really means to be human, what it really means to be an image bearer of God, what it means to walk in communion with God. He, he shows us God, yes, completely and fully, but he also shows us ourself and the life we were designed to live for. He reveals our purpose. He's the reason for life. He shows us what it means to live life to the full as humans because he was fully God and fully human, both entirely at the same time. And guess what, he came as a teacher, as a rabbi, to show us the way, to teach us what it means to be fully human. And like every good teacher, he did way more than teach. He modeled it. He invited his disciples to be with him and see what he does, see how he behaves. Uh, And and as we follow Jesus in his teaching, as we get with Jesus and see what he's like in God's word, he illumines our purpose. He shows us what we're here for and he breaks through the meaninglessness that we so often struggle with. Now really practically here, what's the purpose? What's the purpose that he shows us? Here it is. He lived in loving communion with his Father. He lived in loving communion with his Father. And everything else he did, whether it was healing, whether it was confronting evil, whether it was teaching, was always done in the space of that communion with the Father. There's a crucial moment in Jesus's life that I want us to consider. Uh, Just turn back to the left in your Bible to Mark chapter one, verses one to nine, or, or scroll with your thumb. Mark one, nine to 11. This is right at the beginning of Mark's gospel. Uh, Jesus has has been announced and and kind of heralded and, and Jesus is about to begin his ministry in verse nine of Mark chapter one. It says, at that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. This wasn't just a private individual event in Jesus' life, this is the lifeblood of his entire life. This is the experience in the relationship that he then moved into his ministry and life with. Um, He was filled with the Spirit and the Father spoke that word of love to him and then the Spirit enabled him to live that life of love back to the Father. This is how uh, the great Scottish theologian, Thomas Torrance, puts it. He says, nothing is done in in Jesus' human life except what issues out of the love of the Father for the Son and of the Son for the Father. Isn't that beautiful? He lived out his unique, eternal identity as God's Son in our flesh, and he did it perfectly. And then here's here's another scandal of Christmas, by the way. We're seeing a lot of scandals. The word became flesh. That's scandalous. Here's another scandal of Christmas. Jesus did that to bring us into that singularly unique relationship of love. He did that to bring us into the love of the Father. Come back with me to John 1. Verse 12, what does it say? It says, yet to all who did receive him, who did receive the light coming into the world and the life and the logos, to all who did receive him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's what this is all about. This text is showing us our purpose that we would be children of God, to live as children of God. That's what Jesus opens up for us That the holy and almighty God of the universe would welcome us into his embrace. That those words spoken over Jesus in the Jordan River would also be spoken over your life. I mean, just think about that. You are my son. With you I am well pleased. You are my daughter. With you I am well pleased. And here's something I want you to notice. It says that he gave the right to become children of God. It was pointed out at our prayer gathering this week that this word, right, means power and authority. It's actually a very strong word. It doesn't give us right to be kind of those bratty children who just take everything for granted, but it gives us the right to receive this purpose as God's children. Isn't that such good news? Brothers and sisters, it's not this like tentative suggestion, like sure, yeah, maybe I'm kind of, maybe God's child. It is a legal authorization. It is a legal authorization that before the law court of the universe, you could bring that and say, I'm a child of God, and they would have to say, okay, yes, you are. And this identity, this purpose runs deeper than all the other stuff that comes to us in life. Whatever you're going through this Advent season, whatever is going to kind of intrude in on your life and on your mind and on your soul, this is more fundamental than your cultural identity, than your work identity, than your performance, and then what you have to do this Christmas season. You're a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So whatever is going on in your life, Jesus shines his light and he illumines that essential identity that runs deeper than it all. And friends, if if you don't know this life yet, or maybe if you've been following Jesus for a long time or a short time and, and things seem to have been running dry, that life is waiting for you. That life full of light and purpose is waiting for you and friends, it's found in Jesus. It's found in Jesus. So circle back to that question of all the things you can't live without. Where does Jesus rank? Where does Jesus rank on your list of essentials? Do you need him like you need light? In the midst of all the things we give ourselves to this Christmas season, let's start today to give ourselves to Jesus and to welcome him in to bring us his light. Will you pray with me? Living God, I thank you for your word. Jesus, I thank you that you bring the light of God's presence into our lives. And I thank you that all we need to do is is believe, is put our basic life trust in you and take you for our Lord. And Lord Jesus, I ask today that you would send your spirit to help us consider the question, where are you ranking in my list of essentials? Are you at the top? Are you at the bottom? Are you somewhere in between? And Lord, give us the wisdom and the grace and that spirit of surrender to place you first. We need you, Lord. Come as we continue to respond in worship. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.